Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, April 6th, 2016, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryan. Hey, yeah. And on the line with Mr. Joey Bracino. Did you pick up your Black Panther today? It is Black Panther Day. Yes, from now until eternity. I came with this toilet top in my head. No one, no one else said it. Wakanda Wednesday. That's what I did. I did just now. I'm kidding, dude. I, I was sitting right here next to you when you said it, right before we started recording. There are times. There are times when you tune me out. It could have been one of those times, man. Wakanda Wednesday. I don't know what's going on. Do you get like extra ice cream at Carvel's on Wakanda Wednesday? I think you should. And it, to be fair, I never tune anybody out. I hear everything. I just. Just don't acknowledge. Yep. <laughs> There's a difference. When they're when they're almost the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's still in there. It's in there. If I tuned you out, I would. It wouldn't. I can't turn the filter off on my ears. I I could tell you. I could probably tell you like in three years that oh, I remember you said Wakanda Wednesday. That's the stupid shit I remember. I can't remember important stuff, but I can remember <laughs> yeah. stupid stuff like that. Wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Night terrorist. <laughs> oh, Wakanda Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Steve. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but this week is it's a cool week because we have uh, Black Panther, Tiny C. Coates, and uh, Brian Starfleet's his book is going to be out um, at, when you're listening to this. So go to the store and, and pick that one up. Um, Wonder Woman Earth One is also out. The, this week as well, the Grant Morrison, Yannick Paquette Ha-cha-cha. graphic novel. Yeah. So some some comics to talk about next week. I think so. Um, I haven't read either one yet, so I, I have no value judgments on no. either one of them. I got um, the Wonder Woman one through Goodreads. They finally approved oh, they did? my, my yeah. uh, request. Uh, I got it a couple of days ago. I'll check it out. Yeah. I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and buy it tomorrow. So like today, the, uh, I will have bought it today if yes. you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, on it's, Wednesday, it's been a thin couple weeks for comics. It's been very thin. I got one book last week. Yeah, this well, week was a little rough. You got to remember, it was a five Wednesday it was. March, yeah, it was. It was. so they split a week. Yeah, right there away. wasn't a lot of Marvel and DC stuff this week, really at all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so uh, we're actually going to have a little bit of a shorter show this week. I mean, we got like a three and a half hour show last week, so uh, and the audio quality should be back to normal this week. So that, that's, that's that's a good thing. Hopefully, I'm saying that now. I haven't listened back to the audio yeah. yet, so we'll see. Uh, so we have an interview with Trina Robbins uh, later on the show. We're talking about um, you know her new books, her thoughts on Wonder Woman, all the stuff you expect when Trina yes. Robbins is on the show, uh, and as delightful and as informative a- 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 as ever. Um, but we're gonna have a relatively short show this week. We're gonna go over um, some lightning round stuff, and then we're gonna talk about some listener reaction uh, to Batman v Superman, which I promised that we do. Some there's also a couple of DC Rebirth kind of questions mm. thrown in there as well, which we'll, we can answer. Um, 
And then after that, we'll uh, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. Um, if you're listening to Treating Review, so shorter show this week. Uh, the reason is we're actually having like a like a talking comics meeting thing, and like it's really tough to get everyone together on another day that's not Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, we can only look at each other for so long. Yeah. So yeah. much much like uh, DC and Marvel splitting up their their uh, their circulation over a long month, we're doing doing the same. Uh, but we'll be back next week with a full length uh, regular show. I say I don't even know how short this short show is gonna be. It's Probably like no. an hour and a half, but because right, we still have Trina. Yeah, yeah, but if we're, but if we're less than if we're less than three hours or less than two and a half hours, I generally get tweets that are like, "Why is the show so short this week?" You ruined my commute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I get. I'm the same way with with the podcasts that I love that are usually long. I they, they usually get me through like like two full days of commute back and forth. So yeah. if I can't get that from a from my favorite podcast, I get a little bit uh, a little bit uh, spicy about I'm it. I'm all caught up. On all of my shows, all two of my shows, your podcasts, yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I, I have to wait just like everybody else now. <gasps> yeah, I'm in a real. Uh, I got to the point where I listen to a lot. I, I don't listen to as many podcasts as I used to. I, I cut out a lot of podcasts, but um, I kind of got through. I had a lot of open time on some of the days that usually I would only have a little bit of time, so I listened to like whole shows um, when I usually would take me two days. It took me a day, so I've been listening to. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the show like a long time ago, but. A show called Hardcore History. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Dan Carlin, and and I listened to a whole. Th- he's well, I listened to two of what I think is three parts, but you never know. It could be four, five, six parts um, of this thing about uh, the Persian Empire called the King of Kings. So uh, that's been very good. Um, I've enjoyed that very much, and now I'm listening to something about this like execution in Munster, Germany, in like 1532 or something like. Oh, oh okay. wow. what the hell? Yeah. But I just love listening to him talk because he does that very like. It's Munster, Germany. It's 1532, <laughs> and I want to tell you how. Cr- Let me tell you how crazy things were back then. Religion was something very different. He's this very like it's very uh, into it, very enjoyable. There's like four hour long episodes, and sometimes there's like five four hour long episodes about wow. things. Oh but they're God. very interesting and fun to listen to. Gives you some uh, good background. And then I finally finished this season of Serial. I listened to yeah, it. just wrapped. I'm just gonna ask you eight, about nine, that. and ten um, this past week. You you listened to it as well, Joey? Yeah, the, I thought the last ep- the last two or three episodes were really good. The first chunk of the season, you kind of had to get into it. Yeah. Um, the first season I thought was just lightning in a bottle. Catching that, like yeah. the story was just so so remarkable. Um, but I thought that the season two they kind of really brought it to an interesting place at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And they did a. And I mean, I I understand why they did what they did. You know, kind of taking it. They they didn't want to try to repeat what they did last time, and they they couldn't just do another. Um, unknown cold case cold case yeah. because they're just too big and like there would be so much attention put on it the moment they started sniffing around it um, but for me the case was just what they're talking about the Bo Bergdahl thing is just too big it's it, it, for me to yeah to get into it there, there's too many I mean the, I, I think the political stuff is interesting and I love the way that she reports and so I will listen to any season just the way that Sarah Koenig does what she does yeah but, but the last few episodes she started you know like talking to people yeah. and talking to people about Bo and his past. And that's when it got really interesting because I felt like for season one, that's what made that season so interesting when she was actually talking to the people. The first few episodes was like news media and, mm-hmm. you know, government stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> the last few episodes I thought were, were really kind of really special. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I especially liked the one where they're talking about the trade 
and and all the sort of machinations behind that. And I did really love yeah. the one where she is talking to the people who knew him when he was growing up. Yeah, that episode, that was my, that's when I was like, oh, it is good. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was really good. Um, and and I liked, I what I like about her so much is that she is very willing to put out there recordings where she sounds wrong or you know, ill-informed in a situation. Um, yeah. And she's allowing to let the person who sort of knows more, who schooled her on it, be, and for that conversation to happen and you to hear it. And I, I really like that a lot about yeah. the way she does things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, again, it, she picked, they picked another kind of case, which, I mean, again, it's not about solving the case or what have you or making a final judgment on it. But again, like the end of this one is sort of like, was he th- wrong? Was he right? Was whatever? Like I don't know. Make up your mind for yourself, and like Aww. that's yeah. that's okay. Beca- Society. Yeah, yeah, that's okay <laughs> because that's sort of the idea behind you know her brand of journalism, which is actually journalism, which is to give you all the facts and then you know sort of let you make up your own mind in in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I just think it would have been nice for for some sort of I guess editorializing in, in in that sequence. But it was good, like you said, Joey. It's not lightning in a bottle like that first season. You know, I, I, it wasn't like, oh my god, this week is the J episode where they're going to talk to him finally. We've been hearing about it for six episodes, and now they're finally going to talk to him. You know, there there was <laughs> there wasn't any of that stuff in, in that no. in the season, but um, it was still ex- expertly done. It just didn't pull me in the way that the other ones did. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's my podcasting chat. <laughs> <laughs> Giant bomb one is it should be out nowish uh, Tuesday when we're recording this. So it's usually what I wait for. That'll be my drive home today found a radio dj first ever that i enjoy and actively actively listen to oh yeah yeah her name is uh laurie brown and she does a show uh based out of canada called the signal mm. um it's at 10 o'clock you can listen to it on the internet and i always enjoy finding new music and i never know where to go mm. i cannot tell you how many times i've driven home from the airport when going to see Broadway, and we've had our shazams <laughs> out to uh to you know listen in and see what's what mm. and i have found a good 20 somewhat new artists that i'm like infatuated with through her show so if you've if if you love music or have just heard me talk about music on the show before uh she is a fantastic source for new stuff lots of uh trance and and just like atmospheric stuff and uh all over the map huge radiohead fan uh yeah. as well lots of bjork and uh just really, really mixed bag uh, of stuff. Stuff I would have never found otherwise. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, but I, I promise we're going to talk about comics. <laughs> <laughs> i got tons of comics, man. I promise yeah. that'll happen. I, th- I, pr- I promise, promise. I'm going to go over my three-minute mark. Um, Ooh. That's not going to happen. Sucks. I'm going to hit mute on your microphone. Nope. Hit three minutes. <laughs> nope. Short uh, show, guys. Short uh, show. Uh, let's make sure for next week we all read Black Panther so we can have a, like, oh, a pretty course. deep dive discussion about it. Sure. Um, and as many people as possible read that one room book because I think that's sure, going to be a very of interesting conversation. I, I pre-ordered, pre-ordered it, right? I pre-ordered that, felt badly, <laughs> then saw some more interviews, felt better, <laughs> then saw some pre-reviews and felt worse, then felt better, then felt worse. It's gonna, It's up in the air. We'll see. I'll pick uh, it up. Yannick Paquette. Yannick right? Paquette, Graham Morrison. So um, we'll see how that all shakes out. I know Mara's read it. She hasn't told me which, how she feels about it, but she's been like, she put up something crypt- very ominous. Cryptic tweets yeah, yeah. about yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know, but I can't tell which way they, which way they go. She's like, so I've read the new Wonder Woman Earth One. Can't wait to see what other people have to say about that it. That could be either, that could go either way, <laughs> I though. I know, I know. It could go either way. 
Oh, Dr. Mara. Dr. Yeah. Mara. She's so sneaky. She is very, very sneaky. Um, clever. I'm going to go with clever. Clever better than sneaky. Yeah, yes. clever. Yeah, she's kind of sneaky, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mara's great. <laughs> maybe um, we'll have to have her on to discuss Yeah, Wonder maybe. Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a book. She hates she, Wonder uh, Woman, so, you know, it's... Yeah. <laughs> doesn't know anything about her. They did very good. That Legendary Runs was a very good episode, the one they did about the George Perez Wonder Woman. I haven't read it, and it was still a very, like, involving and educational discussion. To listen That's to. the coolest oh. thing, that, that show that they're running. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, Bob and I are both going to be on it at some point. Yes. I'm doing... Uh, Jim Steranko's Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> and I'm going to do uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man at some point. Nice. So, that's yeah. also wild. I think that's some point over the summer. They, you know, Obviously, yeah. they need like kind of good lead time to read all those those runs. But um, I, bought the, I bought the Animal Man Animus so that we damn well better do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's jump into talking about some, some comics here. Let's talk about let's do some lightning rounds. Uh, Joey, I'm going to let you kick this off. Oh, sweet. All right. So I'm going to put three minutes on this clock right now um, and go. Okay. So uh, like Steve said, it was a light week last week. So I walked into my comic book shop and, and they had the, the 75th anniversary cap issue for me. And I was like, okay, what else can I pick up? Because I always feel weird walking out of the shop with one book. And I saw this book on the, on the, on the counter called Coltar. I was like, what the hell is Coltar? And, the, and my, my comic book guy, Floyd, he was like, oh, uh, there's a local artist in Jersey City. He, he dropped off his book. He's going to do a, a mini con with us over the summer. So he wanted to leave his book here. So I was like, you know what? I'm buying it. So I bought Coltar. Tag your it, chapter one, written and illustrated by Nick Gibney. Um, the, the pitch for the book is <clears throat> when the cat people of Pyron begin curiously turning into violent robots, their leaders <laughs> turn to a pair of petty criminals, Coltar the cyborg gorilla, and Diggs the gun-toting veteran. Sold. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was, it was wild. I picked it up. I went home. I read it. It was the first thing I read on Comixology Submit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very cool. All right. Um, Steve. Yeah. Three minutes on the clock. Lightning round go. So I checked out the new DC animated movie, uh, Teen Titans. Oh, I'm sorry. Justice League versus Teen Titans. And I got to say, it's one of those half and half kind of animations where the first half hour is kind of a bore. Uh, the soundtrack is abysmal. Terrible. And then, and then... The story somehow forgets that the Justice League is even in the movie and becomes a Teen Titans movie and focuses heavily on Raven uh, this time around. And there, uh, towards the latter end of the movie, there's some really, really solid uh, stuff in there with her involving her history, where she comes from, where she wants to go, uh, being a part of a team and feeling like an outcast and, and being welcomed by all these other strangers with superpowers. And it wound up turning itself around and being pretty decent. I'm still not happy with the kind of DC New 52 movies as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think maybe there's been like two or three ones that could be considered great. Um, This is not one of them, but still very, very decent. Very good. Um, I got to check out from Luke Pearson, Hilda and the Midnight Giant from Nobel Press and Flying Eye Books. If you've ever read Neil Gaiman's uh, Coraline, it's very much like that little girl with blue hair lives in the middle of nowhere with her mom and discovers that there are 
there is an entire township worth of elves and magical creatures living around uh, her house, and they want her out. It is kind of creepy, very uh, very high fantasy, and there's even a little bit of uh, Pixar magic towards the end. And uh, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but it was absolutely wonderful. I'm actually working on a full write-up for the website to be published soon. And the other book I want to talk about really quick is called Tomboy from Action Lab, and it's their Danger Zone uh, portion of their label. Now, I wrote this down because I, I couldn't really summarize this on my own. Addison is a young high school student who's just found out that her boyfriend has been murdered. The terrible news leads to Addison experiencing a psychotic break that makes her prone to having hallucinations of both the audio and visual variety. When she encounters the killers while riding a subway, her favorite childhood magical girl character named Princess Cherry Cherry appears and encourages Addison to kill the two men. Um, very... What? Yeah. The artwork is awesome. It's kind yes. of trad Moorish. There's pharma conspiracies, crooked cops, ghosts, uh, eradication of criminal scum, and high school drama. What more could you possibly ask for? Sold. The end. I have 20 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Five ninety nine on Comixology. What? You, for four issues. For, uh, this is one of the, my favorite things that I've read so far this year. It's awesome. It's weird. It's bloody. And it the... the Depth of character in it all around is fantastic. And there you go. All right. What was it called? The last one? Tom the last Boy. one, Tomboy. Tomboy. Yeah, man. Sounds like a trip, man. A lot of eyeballs on the cover. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, Um, just to clarify, that's from Mia Goodwin, who was one of the artists for Princeless. Uh, the original artist. The original oh, artist. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, Tomboy was, I, I couldn't put it down. I thought I thought it was excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, Bob. <clears throat> you ready, okay. Freddy? Yep. All right. Go. I caught up with Art Ops number six, which is the first chapter in a two-part Back to the 70s arc. A uh, story by Sean Simon was good, but fairly slight. But this book has always been more about the concept than the plot. But it's the art that made this a tough read. Not to say that Eduardo Rizzo's art is substandard or anything, but when you follow Michael and Laura Allred... You better bring it. it right. And... <laughs> His art made this sort of pop. I'm going to check the solicitations moving forward. I certainly want to see the second half of this story, sort of the origin of the Art Ops team, but I, moving forward, going to want to see more. I might have to trade weight. Uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur doesn't have that problem because this is just another fun issue. Lanella has to break Devil Dinosaur out of the top-secret security wing of the Department of Dinosaur Control. <laughs> of course. Which is, of course, a joint task force of the Natural History Museum and the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> now, as always, Moon Girl's greatest superpower is her intelligence, her spunkiness, and they're both on display here. And it's a shame that this charming series isn't doing better. I think it's it's having trouble finding an audience. But really, people trust me on this. If you want something with a great female lead character, something great for all ages, Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur is the one you want to go for. It's buried. Unless it's Squirrel Girl. Uh-oh. Because Squirrel Girl number six, this is the first part of the crossover with Howard the Duck. Doreen and Howard meet as he's on a case to locate a missing cat. And as he thinks all cats and hairless apes all look alike, he's grabbed off Nancy's pet cat, Mew. So we've got Chip Zdarsky chipping in on this issue. Sorry. And Ryan North and Eric Henderson are in here. Guest star cast includes Craven the Hunter. Uh, cosplaying Doomplot's Rocket Raccoon and an unstoppable anthropomorphic cyber kill cat. 
I love it. So, right. What's not to love? So that's Squirrel Girl number six, which will be continued in Howard the Duck number nine, eight, four, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, I've got two seconds left to talk about Captain America 75. You have... 52 seconds left. 52 seconds. I know Joey did read Captain America number seven, the 75th anniversary issue. Anyone else? No, but I'm interested to hear about it. So Okay. It is a really neat story where you see what is at the heart of Steve Rogers. He is it it ties into that standoff thing. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you don't need to read that. If you've read Captain America ever, you've got yeah. this. You've got crossbones versus cap flashbacks that speak to the legacy and history of this character, Bucky and Sam interacting, mm. and the moment when. Right, Joey? Yeah. 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 Um, don't want don't <laughs> yeah, to... Yeah, I can't spoil it, <laughs> but that moment in the movie, uh, I Can Do This All Day, mm-hmm. is, is sort of referenced here, and it is special. Is that still Nick Spencer? Yes. Uh, Nick Spencer does the, the main story, which is that standoff, which, like Bob said, I haven't read anything standoff related. Right. And I knew what was, I could follow this perfectly now, fine. No, no, I thought, did he write the whole thing? No, there's guests. No. There's definitely guests uh, on Joss it. Joss Whedon does a, yeah, a short and Tim Sale. Yeah, Joss Whedon In the back. One. Yeah. Right, but I think Nick Spencer wrote the whole thing we have. Uh, oh, the whole standoff thing, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other half. Yeah. Right. Daniel Lacuna is the artist on the Steve sections. Mm. Angel Unzweta and Matt Yaki on the Sam okay. and Winter Soldier. Portions. Now, around, I think it was like issue three or four, the book started to get funny in a way of that it started to kind of resemble the superior foes of Spider Man. Yes, Cap and, Wolf. Right. And the, yes. the tone changed, and you weren't sure how you felt about it. Has it returned? Or is it still keeping some of that humor as it goes forward? I think there's still some humor here, but I think what you had is a pendulum swing. Started very yeah. serious, very political. Mm-hmm. The, the the immigrant mm-hmm. story that got Fox News all yeah. got yeah. their panties in a knot. <laughs> it, yeah. it all swung to that side, then went to Cap Wolf, and mm-hmm. and now it, it found a nice equilibrium mm. okay. in the center. And it looks gorgeous, reads gorgeous. There are, I don't know, there's another one of these books with 14 different covers. I've got a yeah, yeah. lovely Alex yeah. Ross one. There's two different versions of that. But the, if you're a Cap back, fan, what's that? Sorry, I was just going to talk about the backups, but you go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go, no, go, go for it because no, I didn't touch that at all. The backups are, uh, there's a story from Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, Cassidy. Um, there's one from Tim Sale with Dave Stewart, and there's one from Greg Rucka with Mike Perkins. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're just all, like, they're really short, like really short backups, like four or five pages, but they're all... First of all, like A teams in terms yeah. of the 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 creators, um, and they they hit some really interesting moments. Like the Rucka is a is a Black Widow short with mm-hmm. with Steve, and and the Tim Sale stuff is just so remarkable to look at, especially after reading um, Cap White, which was last year. You yeah. know, to see him kind of return to that, and obviously to read a, a short from Joss Whedon, which is about the Shield, um, just a, a kind of strange quirky little story it's a really great book and i I always like picking up these kind of anniversary celebration Mm -hmm. issues because uh because of that because they always try to you know bring in some really a-list talent to really do those backups Mm. so bob you've been continuing to read captain america the ongoing the sam one yes yeah yeah Yeah, the sam one yes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um and you've been enjoying it all the way through um so you you're liking nick spencer as a captain america writer yeah it i think it took him a while to find that equilibrium Mm -hmm. Because it did swing wildly, and I look, 
I loved Cap Wolf. Mm-hmm. That was pretty hysterical. <laughs> Cap Wolf was awesome. But we, I wanted to see the heroic, and mm-hmm. that's that is back in full effect here. Now, is he doing both moving forward? I think he is. He he is. I think so. Okay, I, I have to. Wait, can you well, do, let's double check? I'll that. double check that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Daniel Acuna is a great artist. Yeah. He was doing. He did like the last, really the last major chunk of Remender's Uncanny Avengers uh, run that he was doing. Uh, yeah. And all of that stuff was just drop dead gorgeous. Well, that's uh, two page spread I just showed you. Yeah. It's basically all of Cap's history in two yeah. pages. Yeah, is yeah sensational. Yeah, it's and, unbelievable. He's such a great artist, and um, it, it's great to see him doing other work too because he 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 definitely feels like the kind of artist that Remender would love because it's just like in that same that same mm-hmm. sort of you know vibe and feeling as the other artists that he usually works with. Um, but it's great to see him doing other stuff and, and branching out to other characters and working with other creators. So I'm really glad about that because I think his stuff is just gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. Um, anything that references Bucky Cap is like, I'll pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Bucky Cap is like one of my all-time favorite characters. Now, what's interesting, I've been running around over the last couple of days trying to find other copies of this. My boss's husband loves Cap and didn't pick this up. This is sold out in a lot of places, mm. despite it being a $6 book. Because it's the anniversary and all these extra covers, people are glomming onto it. Mm-hmm. So if you, from our words you decide you want this, go quickly before other people hear. Oh yeah, it, it is Nick Spencer. Uh, yes. Jesus Sides is going to be doing Ooh. the art for it. So, yeah, is it still going to be Old Man Cap? No, no, he's back to Young oh, Man, man Cap. Well, oh. you got to read the issue. Yeah, yeah. He's, oh, he's on the well, on the cover. He's on this cover <laughs> on the, the cover. He's, uh, he's Young Man Cap again. Has he? Young he's reverted cap. back already. <laughs> Sam Cap. All right, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Cap, old man Cap. Yeah. Yes. Werewolf Don't Cap. tell anybody. <laughs> no surprise. There's yeah. a movie called Captain America coming out, and all of a sudden he's back, back with the suit and the shield. But that, that wasn't going to be related to that. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Of course no, not. No, Marvel. No, of course no, not. Of course is that not. why Wolverine isn't in uh, Apocalypse? Because he's still dead. Well, that isn't, Marvel doesn't care about that. It's not their movie. Well, I mean, it's true. Old a... Man Logan, and there's going to be an Old Man Logan movie. Yeah, so it's true. Books, you know. it's true. While we're talking about Cap, the new Winter Soldier, uh, no, I'm sorry, the Civil War trailer. I didn't watch it. I'm done <gasps> watching trailers. Yeah, I'm done. Done. Okay. Done. done, sorry. We, we okay. get to this point now where it's like it's a, like a month away from the movie, and they just start releasing. Well, they haven't, once the TV spots happen, I'm definitely TV out. spot number yeah. nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at this point, I, that last trailer, I saw everything I needed to see. I mean, to be fair, I, I knew I was going to see it anyway, but I... That trailer gave me, like, I saw Spider-Man. I was like, cool. Oh, I'm very excited. Now, anything more I see is just going to it's just going to ruin more moments for me, and I don't want those moments okay. ruined for it, me anymore. I'll just say this, because it's Wakanda <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah. There's, some, there's, some, there's some nice Black Panther in the new trailer. I saw a little. I saw it still of him, like, yeah, okay, that's clawing you, the shield or yeah. whatever. So. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very very excited about that. I'm and so excited for that movie. I'll tell people too. Speaking of Black Panther again, if you if people out there haven't been reading the interviews and stuff that Mr. Coates has been doing leading up mm-hmm. to the book, you should check them out. I think he did one with Vice recently that was really great, and a couple other ones. Obviously, he writes for the Atlantic, and he did sort of a a piece uh, himself in the Atlantic um, about it. it. They've been really interesting to read. There's been a couple earlier views that are already out there that have have been very praiseworthy of the book. So, um, very interested to see how that yeah. that that turns out. Big article in our local newspaper today. Too. Yeah. Do we uh, maybe want to resurrect shared book of the week for yeah. Black, uh, Black I Panther? Said, I said that just I know, maybe, maybe I, ten I want, minutes ago. Officially, I want, I want officially to officially put a title. What on were you it. saying before about me tuning you out? 
<laughs> I heard you before, but there was. I want clarity. I just chose not to listen to you. There's, a, there's at least a few people that are waiting for the word. They want to know <laughs> the word. Yes, right in. The word. We will do a shared book of the week on Black Panther number one. Absolutely. Use hashtag TCBOTW. See, send in your thoughts about now Black Panther official. number one. Yep. Um, and we'll be chatting about that. And if you have thoughts on Wonder Roman year one as well, send those in too, because I'm, def- I'm definitely going to be reading that. Be nice. Backup book of the week. Backup, Backup book of the week. week. Big discussion book of the week. Uh, we haven't done a pure comic show in a long time, so it'll be a good, nice, long, good old-fashioned comics discussion. Joey, are you with us next week? Yes. You are? Yeah. Cool. We, we, we're get- I, I didn't know, because we are getting bonus Joey this week, because you weren't supposed to be with us, so... Yeah, the, the teacher talent show was supposed to be tonight, and they pushed it back because of spring break. Oh, what's your talent? Oh, really? You beat me. Uh, it's it's actually so nerdy, but uh, the drama teacher. I'm the drama teacher at, at my school, and then the drama teacher at the other school in my district. We're gonna we're gonna do a theater show tune together. Nice, awesome. nerds. I like it. And who's gonna be filming this? <laughs> <laughs> Probably so, hundreds of children. Yeah. Will be filming we this want it on young. the site. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, no, you don't. Yes, we do. <laughs> what song are you doing? Yeah. We're looking at stuff from Rent because he's, okay. he's a total Rent head, and I'm mm-hmm. like, whatever you want to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have somebody in the audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> send somebody to Jersey City. Yeah. Send somebody to Jersey, yeah. yeah. I know a couple people in Jersey. Some correspondents in New, uh, <laughs> Comics, New Jersey correspondents. Hey, she will show up covering the news. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing this night? Can you fly over from Cardiff? Hey, Jersey City is not that far away. <laughs> Just across the harbor. Just across the harbor. Um, you got to look uh, out to the audience. I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so much like uh, Steve was saying before, I I only bought one new book this week, yeah. which was Saga. That's what yeah. I bought this week. Um, great. I didn't read it. Girl, you didn't read it. No. You bought I, one book and you didn't read it. <laughs> when I said one book, I bought I bought one single issue. I bought Saga, but I had also bought uh, the second volume of Octopus Pie from uh, Meredith uh, Grant okay. when I read that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, but no, I, I, I bought it. Yeah. I got, I actually got chewed for uh, only buying, I, I, I got into it because of Mimoto mm-hmm. uh, now. Mitomo. Mitomo. Sorry, Mitomo. I keep getting it wrong. Um, I walked into my, my, comic shop that i i go to every now and again uh because i do primarily primarily comiXology mm-hmm. now and i went in there and i bought tomboy i bought the trade and i bought saga and that like that was all i needed because mm-hmm. it was nothing that week yeah and i'm i'm looking at the stacks and i'm grabbing the book and all of a sudden i hear boom and i'm like oh man i'm like somebody's <laughs> got it over there <laughs> and so i walk over we did like the face-to-face feature mm-hmm. where you have to press the little mm-hmm. the little symbol and it links you together and stuff like that and we had this awesome like you know Friendly conversation about games, and we're all excited. Blah 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 blah. I go home, and like the next day, I'm getting yelled at by one of the um, the the owner's uh, girlfriend, who also uh, works at the store with him, about because it said, "What is what's your favorite comic shop?" And I was being uh, snarky, and I was like, "Comicsology." Oh, and I ended up getting like <laughs> chewed out for not going into uh, supporting local comic book shops, <laughs> and I was like sitting there going. Do you even know what I do each week? Yeah. I talk. I, I send people into comic shops every Wednesday. Right. Talk, yell at me. But anyway, on the internet. Um, but yeah, no. I only I only bought uh, Octopus Pie. Was it was good? I think I enjoyed the first volume a little bit more. Um, I don't think the 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 plot, the story plots were mm. were as interesting as the first volume. But I know there's a few more on the way. I'm still in it, but. Um, 
Yeah, man. The last two weeks, even the week before, I bought, I think it was either three or four single issues oh. worth of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was low. Uh, so, yeah, Saga was great. Um, big thumbs up. Um, I'm just continuing to read uh, Preacher and uh, New X-Men, so that's really what's filling my time When does right the now. Saga break? Uh, was it this issue? I think it was this huge issue because the back of it was like a, a cliffhanger literally on a cliff. Or <laughs> <laughs> All right, because I've got – I had Batman, so Batman 51 – I guess will be the last physical issue mm. of Batman that I'll get. And then if that was the last saga for this arc, then that's the last saga. So I'm done. What number? I don't remember what number it was. 34. 34. No, it may not. Maybe it's the next issue was the last. Either issue. way. Uh, but so great. Yeah. I'm continuing to read preacher. Still really enjoying it. New X-Men, same thing. So uh, I'm kind of making my way through, through, through those books right now. Not a lot of new stuff to talk about. Haven't gone to that X-Men point yet. No, no, I don't think so. But I, who knows? I don't know. I, I might not react to it the same way that everyone else reacts to it. So Did you get to the silent issue yet? Uh, no, I don't think nope. so. No, I didn't. Definitely not. Cause I would have realized that it was a silent issue. <laughs> so you would have read it in like 30 seconds and be like, Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so but I'll, once I'm done with both of those things, or, or at least when I'm done with New X Men and I'm done with the first volume of Preacher, I'll kind of check back in and, and talk about those in, in more detail. There's not a ton to talk about right now, more than I've already said ab- about either one of them. Um, but I, like this, the, the X Men thing for me, I like I, I have it's not a plan, but it's a, an inkling to sort of try to read as much X Men as possible to finally understand fully what the hell is going on in, in the books that i read because i feel like even though i probably read no I've, I've read more probably batman than anything else than mm-hmm. i've definitely more batman but x-men is pretty close i've read a lot of x-men books it's it's a lot because like at any given point i was reading x-men from uh the endangered species stuff messiah complex all the mm-hmm. way up till the end of the bendis stuff mm-hmm. and the thing about it is like you could read uncanny and adjectiveless and new like you could read that but then there's like x factor x force new x-men young <laughs> like it's just like it never it never stops yeah. and they're all running concurrently and they're going into each other's books so it's like you can try <laughs> but you'll never understand everything that's yeah, going on it's true no it's it's very very true i, I just i just like i want to read i want to make sure that i read a couple of the sort of runs from creators that I really like. Um, I'm talking about more of the modern stuff right, right. now, not going back right yeah. now. Because um, Claremont was doing all the books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it will take me as long to read three issues as it would take me to read a whole run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back then. So, I'm, you know, I want to read, the, I'm reading this Morrison stuff. I've read, obviously, the Whedon stuff. I want to check out the Fraction, some of the Fraction stuff. You know, I want to, when I started reading X-Men originally, when we first started this, it was the tail end of sort of the Gillen stuff and, and yeah. it was very deep like right in the middle of the jason aaron stuff so i was i was sort of kind of lost with it within that stuff so i i want to i want to read some of that stuff from those creators that i really like to one to, of my favorites yeah. that um kind of fell out because of all the other stuff that was going on was when yost and kyle did um new x-men right after they just carried over the name mm-hmm. too and it was it's it focused more on like the kids and that's when you get introduced to like elixir and pixie and like all those like young characters mm-hmm. um that book was was really really good and it's only like 20 issues or so i, I want to say so um that one yost and kyle i think was really good i really like chris yost as a comic book writer in general i really loved his red robin stuff at the right before the new 52 started so uh mm-hmm. anywho um we've got uh, some reactions to huh. uh batman v superman 
Dawn of Justice, and Joey is not here in the studio to make these recordings fail, so we should be okay. Hey, all right, listen. <laughs> all I'm saying, Joey, we've, we had like, of like the 200 plus episodes that we've recorded, very few of them have ever had uh, technical problems. It happens you were here, and all of a sudden we had technical problems. Hey, man, I bring the noise. <laughs> <laughs> and the whiskey. It's true, and the whiskey. Maybe that was the reason <laughs> yeah. for the technical problems. Um. All right, so here we go. There's still a little bit of it left. There's still yeah. a little bit <laughs> left. <laughs> All right, so th- these are reactions. I'm going to read some Twitter reactions. I've got some Facebook reactions, and I've also got uh, a couple emails here. There's, these are mostly just sort of reactions to the movies, uh, to the movie. There's also a question here or there uh, about the movie and about DC Rebirth, so uh, we'll, we'll answer those as we go through as well. Um, all right, so uh, this, is from, uh, this is from Mo Walker, and we're starting right out with a DC Rebirth. Thing. It says, regarding DC Rebirth, I am sad that Marguerite Bennett and Tom Taylor did not get any titles, but I'm willing to sample books. Um, this is from uh, this is from Doctor Whiskey, and this is about Batman v <laughs> Superman. The characterizations generally brought me to the verge of bitter, sorrowful tears. So awful. Uh, Jacob Davidson said, didn't like the movie. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman was the best part. Really excited for her movie now. Um, Hirsch Trooper says, liked BVS. I knew how it would be, and I got that. Ba- and, and, and I got that. Batman is epic, but the movie sure has some problems. Then he says, DC Rebirth got me really excited. I lost a bit of track of DC during Future's End and Divergence and Convergence, um, but I will read every number one issue. Um, wow. it, it so it reminded me of how, this is this is her stripper still, DC Rebirth reminded me of how awesome the DC Universe is and was when I grew up. Lots of great artists and two ninety nine. Um, and then he gave the middle finger to Marvel. <laughs> middle, middle finger emoji. For the price. To Marvel, sorry. It's middle finger emoji? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah, man. Really? That's I. That's a, that's a popular one for me. <laughs> I, send, I send that one to Talking Movies Brian Verderosa <laughs> a lot. How have I never <laughs> seen this? Is it in the iPhone? Yeah. All right, I'm looking for it. Yeah. Right it's in my favorites at this point. Yeah, no, I'm gonna put it in there. Um, right next to the poop emoji. Um, Chocolate ice cream. Yeah, it's poop oh. emoji. <laughs> uh, Joseph Walker wants us to admit. Come on, admit it. You loved it. <laughs> Uh, you got us. Yeah, you got yeah. us. Uh, Carol Cross uh, on the on the case of the kind of criticism and the sort of way that criticism is done said, mm-hmm. um, "Tell your listeners." Carol Cross said, "If you loved it, you're right. If you hated it, you're right. And be nice, fuckers." <laughs> <laughs> Carol, awesome. Yeah. That uh, we need that on a t-shirt too. <laughs> uh, Craig Blenko says, "So much of BBS makes no sense. Reminded me of a Transformers film. Too much time spent thinking of visuals and none on story." Uh, Adam Co- Adam. Calmus says, I'm sorry, I'm probably saying your last name wrong, and I apologize. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg is the best Riddler I've ever seen on screen. Uh, <laughs> Travis Beckwith said, really disappointed that DC Rebirth looks like such a major backpedaling from DCU. The new, the new teams don't seem inspired. Uh, this is uh, Mike. This is Mike at Little Bastion talking about the movie again. So bad, the film didn't even seem to have a narrative flow. More drab, dull Zack Snyder stuff. Eisenberg ties with Jar Jar Binks for most annoying character ever. Wow. Plus. <laughs> Plus, Superman just basically mopes around most of the movie. Blue Boy Scout has been listening to The Cure a little too much. Um, oh. Oh, boo. The I love Cure's awesome. <laughs> um, let's see here. We've got... Uh, uh, oh, because last week I was... This is the totally random aside. Last week I was talking about my weird social studies teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Justin, who's Gigawatt Conduit, says, Are you absolutely sure your teacher wasn't someone who escaped from Mad TV or just incredibly <laughs> stoned all the time? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> uh, so, Seymour uh, Butts, good name, uh, says, awesome. although I liked Dawn of Justice more than you, I think your review is perfectly fair. I had many of the same issues. Um, let's see here. Um, okay. I don't see no middle finger emoji, man. <laughs> I got it, man. I don't, I don't <laughs> it, looks, it looks like a Send pointer finger, but it's Send a middle finger. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so uh, this is from Mojo Husband. This is the question. Uh, what are your feelings about DC Rebirth reverting the Wonder Woman costume uh, from the what he calls functional warrior-like back to the short skirt classic look? Bob, you are the Wonder Woman aficionado here. What do you sure. think? The last outfit, she was certainly more covered up, and that's not a bad thing. I was mm. not a... I was not one of those people who lost their crap <laughs> right, when, right. when J. Michael Straczynski put in a pair of pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the traditional outfit. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, her traditional outfit was a skirt. She started in a skirt, and then it was yeah. sort of long bike shorts yeah. and the rest of it. It's, they, they've all been pretty good, save the thong mm -hmm. that Mike Diodato drew. The last one, the, the only problem was it was definitely a warrior's outfit. Mm -hmm. The blades out of the arm. Right, yeah. She had to have the... It's as if it was cobbled together from a little bit of everything. She had shoulder mm -hmm. pads and big boots and the rest of yeah. it. And, I guess in that storyline that the Finches were telling, it mm. may have worked. But if Greg Ruck is going back to she's a warrior for peace, mm -hmm. so to speak, that there's something else that comes first, I think you have to get her out of that battle gear. Right. So you may see her in that. Look, George Perez put her in golden armor. Mm -hmm. And so did John Byrne and Walt Simons and everybody else in between. Certainly Rucker, Gail Simone did. So you'll see something like that, but we need to see the Diana, whose first instinct is for peace and for talking and for working through the problem before stabbing someone through the head. Right, yeah. And he says here, you know, keep in mind, Batman, Superman, even Bluebird, Batgirl keep getting progressive and increasingly functional costumes. Um, you know, I I think my main issue with the, the newer costume, um, and I remember, I wasn't reading comics, but I remember when Sergeant put her in the pants and people kind of freaked out yeah. about it. And I was like, that looks all right. You know, but... Uh, but for me, the new one, the problem with the new one is not necessarily the, the 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 ethos of why that costume exists, but more that I just don't think it's a very visually appealing design, no matter how kind of functional or or sort of covering up it is. You know, you, you, the things you can say for the, the Batgirl redesign, or you look at any of the things that like Chris Anka does over over at Marvel, all those redesigns, Psylocke, oh, the, you, you, the list goes on and on, right? Is that there is a very great visual style and, and a and a fashion sense to to what is happening there, and I feel like, like you said, Bob, that that sort of older, no, sorry, that 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 new redesign is a very a mishmash of of things, and you know, I think we've seen as as we've seen a character like Red Sonia in sort of the Gail Simone run, it doesn't really matter if the the, the costume is is more revealing; it's really how the artist, how the gaze on the character is portrayed through the artist, and I, and I think that as long as that gaze remains respectful, the costume that she has is fine. And also, like, she's not Batgirl or or, or one of these Batman characters or one of these characters that, you know, um, has to have a costume which allows her like freedom to do all these things because she's Wonder Woman. She she has a huge power set, and as well, you know, she's dressing in the way that someone from ancient you know, mm -hmm. antiquity times wouldn't it's not exactly of course but it's in the vein of something that they would wear in everyday life even into battle so i think that there's a i think that there's a, a fidelity there that, that can be can be can be good I, I like the idea of doing the finch redesign 
when they were doing it only because it it's kind of proof it's kind of protecting the character from over sexualized looks because she's so covered up but i think yeah. in the hands of the creators that you're working with here you don't have to worry about that so uh and i'm always of two minds about redesigns it's like i yeah i like it when costumes are more functional and and look more sort of i could see somebody putting this costume on and, and doing this but also i also want that fantasy to what to what they're doing you know like i i i don't want to see ever see you know Batman in like a you know like a Kev, a regular like Kevlar vest with a bat like scrolled yeah. on it you know and like a, a <laughs> Locker, like an, yeah. an Under Armour like thing like I I want Punisher yeah Bat yeah, Punisher yeah. I want to see them in like they're 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 still creatures of fantasy in a lot of ways and so uh, I I you know when there are grievous things to uh, adjust like the Psylocke costume which has always been a ridiculous uh, costume yeah. for anyone to wear. I'm, gr- I'm very happy with what they did with that character, but with something like one woman, I think that the character has so much history, um, that it's tough to change things dramatically and, and keep, uh, the iconic nature of what that character looks like. Well, two things, as you pointed out, it's about the, the gaze. It's how mm-hmm. we're going to look at this and how it's going to be drawn and presented. And I think we're in safe hands. Mm-hmm. And that since she comes from an Island of all women, they're not looking at themselves in that same way. So th- their outfits, very mythology-centric togas, gowns with things and whatever, and we saw them wandering about. It was all in that sort of vein that you see from the old carvings, the old statues. So granted, we didn't ever see a statue of someone dressed like Wonder Woman. I will certainly, <laughs> I certainly cop to that. But again, if you look at the original concept art that Harry Peter did, it's sandals and a skirt and the whole thing so mm-hmm. it, as the years went on and it changed we moved forward or backwards as the case may be but so, even into the 60s 70s we were still in good shape yeah right yeah i mean I, again i i don't have no problem with redesigns if, if they're done well but i also don't think they they necessarily need to be done for every mm-hmm. for every character out there um so another question. This is this is from Eldred Ryan. This is about BVS. Says, not sure if you guys touched on this on the podcast, but what did you think about them killing off Jimmy Olsen in in BVS? So, <laughs> yeah. if people don't know this thing, and this is this has come from Zack Snyder just talking about this in interviews at the beginning of Batman v Superman. There's a, there's a scene where there's a photographer that 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 Lois very offhandedly refers to as Jimmy. Who ends up dying, and he ends up being also like a secret agent or whatever. This is the, like the first thing that happens in the movie, so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not spoiling anything for anybody. Uh, and and after after the fact, and they don't ever call him Jimmy Olsen. They don't say that in, in the movie. They don't reference it ever again in the movie. They don't say a full name. But in interviews, Zack Snyder said, "Oh, that's that was Jimmy Olsen. We wanted to throw him in there because he doesn't really have a place in the overall universe, but we wanted to get a little like Easter egg in there about." Him being in it, uh, he, did, but he did say it was a, a fun little Easter egg. A fun little Easter egg where he killed off one of the oldest characters in the Superman canon. This was one of the things that we didn't have time for that I wanted to bring up when we were doing. The oh, show. Nice. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what did you want to say about it? Just how kind of ridiculous it is, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, you know, uh, the the comments. I can't. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't yeah. say word for word. But what I got from his comments about it was, like you said. That there's really there's no room in this universe for this character, and he he was painting him as kind of like a like a nothing character, and that you know today's audiences aren't interested in you know what Jimmy Jimmy Crack you know photographer reporter Jimmy Olsen is up to 
and there's just too much going on that we need to cover that, you know, for people that want to see him, it's kind of tough. And, uh, and then they, then he revealed this little bit about, you know, well, he is in the movie, but we killed him. <laughs> and I just, in the first five minutes. like, you know, just another, another example uh. of just taking a character and completely doing nothing with it. And, you know, you couldn't have just, he couldn't have just been there. You had to kill him, you know, for the, for the people that actually were interested in seeing him in the movie, he could have just been there. That scene could have played out differently. He could, they could have both made it out alive. But no, you shot the guy because why not? Add, add him to the death hole. <laughs> Throw him on the pile. I didn't even think about it until I saw it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And people commented on it because I thought he was Jenny in the last movie yep. who had a building dropped on her head. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it this way: when that moment happened in that movie, I did not give a shit about yeah. that guy, and yeah, I did yeah. not know who he was. Well, yeah, no, you you wouldn't you wouldn't know who he was. You, right. It's it, it's totally like a thing. And that, the other thing too is other thing I'll say about this, and I think I talked with this guy on Twitter a little bit on my personal Twitter, but he says this, but he's there's absolutely an out in all of this. They never say the character's name in the movie. Zack Snyder said it afterwards, and yeah, like that means something, but if somebody else decides they're going to do the next Superman movie and they want to put Jimmy Olsen in the movie, I don't think Warner Brothers is going to tell them no because yeah. Zack Snyder killed... Because you killed him. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think that'll happen. You right. know what I mean? Just because, like, like you said, like they already went somewhere different because Jimmy was supposed to be Jenny in Man of Steel, and, right. and so there's a lot of like ping-ponging back and forth. I think it's just one of those things... I, I'm not totally sure if Zack Snyder means the thing he says sometimes, or he's just trying to get a rise out of people. Because sometimes I feel like, and I, I'm not saying this is like like it's a bad thing. Because I think sometimes it's, it, it, if he's meaning to get a rise out of people, it's oh. kind of funny sometimes. But he says stuff sometimes. I'm like, you can't really think that like yeah. you mean like oh like a, Superman is just like Darth Vader. He blew up planets too. Kind of yeah, like yeah, a yeah. like a wind him up and watch him go. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think there might be something to I like that. that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I think if you're worried about Jimmy Olsen, I think that if, I think if whoever directs the next Superman movie, it won't be Zack Snyder because I think he'll just be done. He'll have done probably three or four of these movies by the time he gets to the next <sighs> Superman movie. Um, <laughs> at least three because he's doing Justice League. Right. If he does another Justice League, who knows? But I, you know, he's definitely probably has right of first refusal on doing that at this point. Uh, I, I I think by that time whoever if whoever takes over Superman if they want to bring Jimmy Olsen into the fray they will you know I I don't think that I don't think that's gonna be off the table for hey them. guys I was just faking yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the same guy it really am a secret agent <laughs> yeah, it's the same guy <laughs> I, I didn't understand that whole I mean there's a lot about that movie that I didn't understand but I, there was no clarification like he says like oh I'm an I'm an agent or or yeah, yeah. whatever and then he just dies and we mm-hmm. move on and yeah, there's yeah. no. Like you said, there's no real connection to no, anything, no, Jimmy. No, no, so, but no, no. for him to come out and say that, I feel like he was doing it just to piss me off <laughs> a little bit, just to, just to add, throw another log on the fire. <laughs> it, it worked. Um, <laughs> so let's see. We have some Facebook ones here. Terry Washington says, "Love seeing Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, but hated the story." Uh, Chris Sison says, "If I could describe Batman v Superman in one word, it would be random." Um, <laughs> Nathan Roberts says, I feel as though Kevin Spacey was cast as Lex Luthor in the wrong movie. He was wasted in Superman Returns, but you cast Frank Underwood as the Snyder vs. Lex? Bang. Gold. My retro fantasy is Spacey as Lex's father, the one that we heard about in the movie, and he pits soups and bats against each other. He unleashes Doomsday and ends up getting killed by him. And then we get I- Eisenberg's Lex in the subsequent movie. The, uh, that idea is going to live in my head for a while. Uh, <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could work. I will say too, again, I don't want to get on the movie because we talked about it for yeah. two hours last week, but I don't understand why they did the whole, like, my dad is the, 
like is the Lex on the building thing. It didn't it didn't play into yeah. anything that happened. Like why why can't he just be regular? I mean, there is like Lex has a relationship with his father that's complicated. That's a thing in in in, in both comic book canon and in like Smallville. Yeah. Like it's been well established. But it's just weird that they did it in in, in that way. Um, with it's, nothing. It's a bizarre yeah. thing. Um, I just like to pretend that it's. John Glover from uh, Smallville as his dad. Yeah, he was good. Because he was really good. He was one of the best oh, things about that, that show. Yeah. Well, that, both of them are Rosenbaum. really good. Yeah, Rosen, Rosenbaum. Baum? Baum? Rosenbaum. Yeah, Rosenbaum. Baum. Yeah, Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum. Was great. Um, I like Glover and uh, Scrooge. Oh, yeah. He's great in Scrooge. Uh, so this is from Jesse Bowden. He was sent an email in. True to the Bob Ryer method, I have multiple reviews of the movie. Unfortunately, they are all negative. With the ima- and I promise you guys, I am not like skewing positive reviews that got sent in. I'm just reading out uh, basically everything that got, that got sent in. A lot of the positive reviews were like, "Hey, like the movie, but appreciate your review." And I don't want to like read all those out because I feel like we're like, you know, patting ourselves on the back <laughs> too much. Exactly. We did a good job. Um, we did a better job. I think then. I mean, even though we were fair. The Men of Steel? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, it was a better movie. Well, because we also had Joey, who's way more positive just in general <laughs> just as a person <laughs> than, than any Life, of us. Yo. Lock it in. Um, so uh, it says With the massive exception of Wonder Woman, the film fails as a comic book adaptation. These characters have been lovingly crafted by numerous creators for 75 years. Time has shown that Superman should be seen as, a kind, of her- as kind and heroic, while Batman is tactical and tactical and just sure there have been deviations but those exceptions prove the rule it's as if the filmmakers believe that they know better than those who've contributed to these characters for nearly a century when the film is reviewed merely for its ability to convey a coherent narrative somehow it manages to fail even harder the plot only makes sense because it's the title of the movie it isn't as much a story as it is a montage of loosely related events it transitions from thread to thread without ever giving the viewer a moment to make connections the culmination is admittedly epic but emotional moments fall flat the film doesn't lay enough pipe to warrant an emotional investment from the audience. Um, when Lois found herself needing to be saved for the third time, I didn't care because I was frustrated <laughs> with the bad decisions that led her there. Um, what bums me out the most is that all the lost potential. When you analyze the individual components, you can see the pieces of two or three great movies. This is the only fact that gives me hope for the future of the DCCU. Considering how much these characters mean to so many people, myself included, it would be great to see them placed in the hands of someone who believes in their power. Mm. I very love, very yeah. well said, Jesse. Yeah. We uh, don't have to do a show the next time around. We just have Jesse come yeah, on. Yeah, just write an email yeah, next yeah. time, Jesse. Yeah. We'll just read it out. That uh, was brilliant. <laughs> I agree 100%, <laughs> even if he did mention my name. <laughs> um, I will say, too, I mean, again, th- this is this is part truth, part rumor, for that Warner Brothers is paying for millions of dollars of reshoots on Suicide Squad to inject more yeah, humor that. into the yeah. movie. The inject more humor into the movie that's all sort of that's coming from unconfirmed sources and stuff like that so yeah. that's not they are definitely doing reshoots it is not a weird thing they for, all do for a big comic when we do reshoots they all do it marvel has it like built into their their budgets and schedules that you know this many months before the movie comes out we're going to do some reshoots so uh I, I, that only paints a bad picture of the movie but i do definitely think that um and i don't even know if they're reacting as much because the weird thing is I, companies like warner brothers don't cycle decision that quickly like you don't see the reactions to a movie one week and then all of a sudden you've got the whole cast and crew back ready for reshoots yeah. for something i think this has more to do with the first trailer the, the second trailer they put out which seemed very fun and very kind of 
Guardians-esque and Absolutely. and that maybe the full tone of the movie doesn't really fit into that box as much as that trailer conveys. That's what I feel like that's what they react to because this takes a lot of planning. You don't just get Will Smith and, and Margot <laughs> Robbie and Jared Leto and all these people back into a, a into a production again uh, uh, in, a, in like a th- three-day time period. But I've it. seen articles. Well, every joke that's in the movie is in the trailer. Yeah. So they're going to go shoot another, what, 40 minutes of jokes? Yeah, no, I don't know. that's not happening. They said they're increasing the kind of character moments and they're, and yeah. they're explain that perfect um and i'll say this as, as fun as suicide squad look in that trailer if suicide squad is a dark movie with people doing horrible things it totally makes sense because they're all bad guys <laughs> <laughs> i would totally be okay with it you know i know we all love the first kick-ass yeah definitely which is crazy mm. ultra violent yeah really dark snarky mm. ironic yeah if that's what suicide squad is mm-hmm. perfect yeah so we'll Perfect. see. We'll see. How, yeah. we, we don't have very long to wait until that. Even less yeah. time to wait until Civil War, which is coming quickly down the pipe. Yeah. We have, a, I think, a month now. Almost exactly a month until that's out. Oh God. Yeah. First week in May. Yeah. That that baby's out. So that'll be a Bucky. Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, do you like Bucky? Oh, he's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> What's your? I mean, other than obviously the Winter Soldier storyline, like the initial like uh, Brubaker introduction. What's your favorite Bucky story? There was a very brief kind of bridging between Brubaker's uh, the main cap uh, series when it got like renumbered at 600, and then they relaunched at number one, and he was still doing it. They did like Captain America and Bucky issues mm. yeah. for a little while. There was like four or five issues, and it's just Bucky and Natasha um, talking about this like older mission that they went on, and it, and I think I want to say Chris Samney did the artwork on it. Okay. And it was incredible. It's really brief. It's called Captain American Bucky. It's like Captain American Bucky number 623 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there was like a little five issues right there. Um, really poignant. The last issue has a great little coda on the end that, that you really did not expect in terms of who's narrating the story. Um, that is one of my favorite things. And it, it kind of bridged the gap between the end of that Winter Soldier arc and the beginning of, of the you know, Winter Soldier solo series and the Cap solo series that they kind of relaunched consecutively. Mm. But that little bridge, if you can find that. You should uh, find the exact issue numbers, Joey. Maybe we'll we'll read that before yeah. Civil War, and I'll talk about I would, it. I would cry. <laughs> so find those issue yeah. numbers, and then we'll we'll all find a way to read it, and, and uh, we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, all right, I'll hit the long boxes. Yeah, were you uh, a fan of the? I guess it was half Brubaker, half what was it Nick Klein, uh, Winter Soldier series. Yeah. Oh my God, that was amazing. I, I I mean I don't know how you feel, but I mean the Brubaker stuff is great, but I thought that second half was even better than the first half. Um, are you talking about when? Um... Uh, the the one was like it was like all like the Soviet sleeper agents and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was wild. I forgot it was it was Nick Klein and I can't remember the uh, Jason Latour. Jason Latour were the two people on that book. I oh, loved. Oh, that was wild. It was such yeah. a great. And when Brubaker left, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this. And it was just, it was beautiful as well. It was a gorgeous book to look at. That was that was a tough couple of months because Brubaker left Cap, and then but he continued doing the Winter Soldier for a little while. Yeah. And then he put, like his little. There was like a like a wrap up. That last issue of Winter Soldier that he did mm-hmm. was just heartbreaking because of where it, it left Bucky and left Natasha especially. And I just like, I ship yeah. Bucky and Natasha so hard. When I'm reading <laughs> these books, like, and I see them. I'm like, I'm reading that that um, new Black Widow issue, and I'm like, yo, when Bucky's showing up? Like, <laughs> 
Give me some of that Bucky. <laughs> Bucky showed up in the uh, the Nathan Edmondson run mm-hmm. from from last year, and I was like, yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, there was some great Natasha Bucky stuff in that Winter Soldier solo series. Yeah. So good. For sure. Uh, it was that Bitter March that we both loved. Oh, so that was much. so good. Bitter March was so good. Did you read that, Joey? Yeah, man. That was a good thing. Chris. Um, it was Remender and Boschke? Anything? Anything? Yes. Yeah. Anything what, Joey? Yeah. I, I missed. I saw Anything I, Bucky. Even I, the, the <laughs> recent one? Who did the. Alesh Kot did uh, a, a Bucky run. Yeah, it was Alesh Kot and that insane. Marco Rudy. Yes. Yeah, it was wild. I had no idea what was happening, but I was like, yeah. it's Bucky! No, I, I couldn't read it because I was like, I, I'm reading pages and I have. I feel like I'm reading like my psychology textbook in college. I had no idea. <laughs> upside down. You're reading it upside down. <laughs> yeah, I would read it and then go, you know what? I have no idea what happened in the last four pages of this comic book. I have to go back and try to read it again. Because you 100%. mix the crazy, bizarre way that Elesh Kott writes with the crazy, bizarre Marco Rudy art. It's just it's too much crazy, bizarre put next yeah, to each other. Yeah, where's the ground here? But there's no where, ground. Where am I you, can't, yeah. you can't find the ground. <laughs> there's no. There's none of it. You can't find it at all. Um, is but there yeah. going to be a Bucky or Winter Soldier book moving forward? The movie. I don't know, man. Do I don't think? know. They're doing, they're doing uh, Bucky and the Thunderbolts. Oh, oh right, that's he's, right. right. Yeah, he's leading the Thunderbolts. Right. That's right. That's right. So it's we'll not see. the same. It's, it's not, not the same. same. But maybe we'll get some good Bucky stuff in there. Um, it's the real Thunderbolts this time around. Mm-hmm. So you've got Zemo. So there's some neat stuff happening there. Yeah. I'm. I'm guessing. Bucky is like the Luke Cage of this, right? The guy who's like the good guy who's running yeah. it, I guess. Uh, we'll see. We'll I, see. I'm sure he doesn't know it's the good Baron. Right. No. Um, uh, and we still, it's great. I mean, this is one of the aside about Civil War, but Baron Zemo is in the movie and we still haven't seen like anything of him. I want to see the purple hood. Yeah. That's all I want to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're going to, this it for this, this section of the show. Uh, we'll take a little break and we'll come back with Trina. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll close out the show right after that. So stay tuned for Trina Robbins. Hi, we are thrilled to welcome back comic book writer, artist, her story, and Eisner Hall of Famer, the legendary Trina Robbins, to Talking Comics. Good evening, Trina. Good evening to you, Bob. Well, uh, I'm sure it we're going to... you, Bob, right? I am still Bob. <laughs> okay. I have to check every now and again, but you never know. <laughs> I know we're going to cover a whole lot of stuff. What I want to jump into right away is your newest book that's due out from July on July 12th from Hermes Press, and it's titled Babes in Arms. And it collects just a ton of great World War II-era stories with female leads and all drawn by female artists. So, leading up, what was the genesis of this? How did you decide to do this particular project? Well, you know, uh, World War II, that period, saw more women working in the comics industry, drawing for comic books, than ever before. Because, as in every other industry, the guys were draft age, and they either enlisted or were drafted, and went overseas 
to fight, you know, the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were, you know, as in every other industry, um, there were great big holes that needed to be filled, and women filled those holes, and women filled those positions. They were making ships, they were making planes, they were driving buses, they were flying planes, and they were drawing comics. And the interesting thing is that when the women drew comics, what they drew were beautiful, um, courageous, brave women who fought the Axis themselves, you know, in pen and ink on paper, and never needed to be rescued by a guy like the girlfriends in all those superhero books. Absolutely. And and to a certain degree, what it meant was that these women who were drawing the comics were fighting the Axis with pen and paper. They were doing their bit. Wow, that's beautiful. Now, I'm, like I'm artistic just, Rosie the Riveters. I, I, I actually wrote that down. You already beat me to my own notes, Trina. That's not fair. Look, I, I, I'm going to skip ahead because tying to what you just said, I've read tons and tons of Golden Age books over the years in, in various archives and so on. And the artwork collected here by these fabulous women you picked is some of the most sophisticated I've seen in this period touches of Milton Kniff, Alex Raymond, but it's through that slightly different lens. There's just uh-huh. beautifully laid out panel layouts. There's Kirby in there too. Now, it's a shame that some of these women aren't as known as they should be, which I think is the purpose of this book, as you did with your Miss Fury <laughs> exactly. collections. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. I mean, the only one really who is known at this point is Lily, because I did a graphic novel about her, and because I've put her comics up you know, on my website, but there were so many women. I mean, Fran Hopper was just fabulous, and she yes. worked with Lily. You know, they were friends. They both worked for Fiction House, which, as a matter of fact, Fiction House, during that period when there were more women working on comic books than ever before, Fiction House had more women working for them than for any other publisher. Oh, I, I, we're going all over the place. I'm loving this, as usual, Trina. Uh, Fiction House it does come up a lot. Now, they were at the forefront of hiring all these, these female creator, uh, creators. Uh, Ruth Atkinson was their art director, right? Yes, yes. And she drew for them. Yeah, and over a time, she co-created Patsy Walker, who's now so much in the news because of she television. Sure and her did. New- she drew the very first year of Patsy Walker comics. She also drew the very first Millie the Model comic. And Timmons, who also did Go Girl with yes. you. Lily Renee, escape artist. Yes. She... Escaped the Nazis and she came is, here. She was yes. a Jewish teenager living in Vienna in 1938 when the Nazis marched in. And of course, as we know, they immediately, you know, what came right after that was Kristallnacht, right. and they immediately were oppressing the Jews and already putting the camps together, you know. And she escaped in 1939 via something called kinder transport. Have you heard of kinder transport? Yes, ma'am. Okay, it was this wonderful agreement that England made with Germany that they would take Jewish children from the occupied countries, and they saved at least 10,000 lives of Jewish children. And she was one of them. And she wound up in England during the Blitz, um working as a, a nurse's assistant in one of the maternity hospitals, because a lot of the nurses, there was a shortage of nurses, too, because a lot of the nurses went to work for the military and in the military. So um, they needed, you know, they needed everybody they could get, and she was, like, ferrying babies down to the shelters almost oh. every night. 
Wow. And you hear that story and it just brings you right back into that time period. You can see the, it's all in black and white somehow for me. We grew up in a similar time period. Now on your website, which is TrinaRobbins.com, you can download for free the Golden Age comics of Lily Renee. Is this correct? That is correct. I think I have 200 pages in there. Wow. And once you once people start to see these pages, it is just so so different than the, there's so much art in that period that is is primitive and it's it's filled with energy and all. But here you can see all these women. We're going to go through them individually a little bit. Where they went to the children's books afterwards, fine art, as, as with you know mm-hmm. Barbara Hall, whereas people are saying, "Oh, you should go do something different." That different sort of edge rounds off. Yeah. That, that primitive nature into something really special. So let's just jump in. Uh, Barbara Hall, who... Yeah, it's... Oh, I'm sorry, go no, on. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, how hard was it to pick the, the right artist to find in this well, period where there are no credits even on so many of these books? The trouble with Barbara Hall is she didn't do enough, you mm-hmm. know, because her dopey fiancé, who unfortunately she later married, um, <laughs> but who she, she also eventually divorced, um, he's, you know, because comics were not held in high esteem in those days, and he's telling her, you should be a fine artist, you shouldn't do this trash. So she believed him, and the result is, you know, although she drew these great, you know, the girl commandos oh, and, love the, girl. and the blonde bomber, you know, but unfortunately she didn't do a lot. So she is the one who is least represented in the book. I mean, I, I you know, reprinted everything I could find, I... basically. Oh, those girl commando stories, it is, I, I know for my, my younger colleagues here, but I grew up reading Terry and the Pirates, and mm-hmm. it's Terry and the Pirates crossed with Captain America. Her, 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 I think her, that they're... Go oh, ahead. Go on. No, go, please. Well, I think that they're more like, you know, the Blackhawks. They're like a female ah, version yeah. of the Blackhawks. There's one from every country, you know, and better than the Blackhawks because the Blackhawks got really racist with the Chinese guy. Absolutely. And she's chop, not chop, racist yes. at all. The Chinese woman is beautiful. She's yeah. not a racist caricature. No, and, and she drives some of the storylines oh, particularly yes. well. And that we had, uh, is it Eileen? who was sort of like the Etta Candy of this group. So you also had yes, body equality. that's another one. Yes, equality. yes there's, a, there's a little overweight girl, a little plump girl. And, and, you know, that must have been so nice for girls who were, you know, maybe a little too chubby and, and didn't have very good, you know, self-esteem. And they would see this, and here's this wonderful chubby girl, and she's part of a team, and they're totally kicking ass, you yeah. know? Always, if they get into trouble, as with Wonder Woman in that period, they mm-hmm. always rescue themselves. They rescue the guys mm-hmm. who come to rescue them who fall into bad situations. Just right. sensational, sensational. Now, she was followed, in the, for the most part, by Jill Elgin, who you describe as the yes. mystery woman of comics. Why is that? She is the mystery woman because we just don't know much about her. About the only comment I have, um, when Joe Kubert was still with us, he, as you know, he started in comics. He was very young, mm-hmm. and he inked Jill Elgin, and I had an original Girl Commando <gasps> page that was inked by him, and I got him to sign it. Uh, too bad I couldn't get Jill Elgin to sign yes. it. And he, you know, when I showed it to him, I said, you inked this? He said, oh, yes, and you know, it was drawn by a woman. I said, I know. And he said she was a very nice lady, and that's, that's it. That's all I, I know about her, that she was a very nice lady. And she went on to children's books. I mean, I have at least one book. I have a 
very nice Whitman edition of Little Women that she illustrated. Yes, I the, the I've seen those pictures now. Was it is that in the in the new book that you had that is part of her bio, or have I just now yes. gone well, somewhere else? Um, okay. No, no, because I also include that in in my history of women cartoonists, Pretty in Ink. That's where I saw it because I was just yeah. looking through that today. People who don't know that book, Pretty in Ink, North American Women Cartoonists, eighteen ninety six to two thousand thirteen. That covers a lot of territory, but all the ladies we talk about here are represented here. Fabulous artwork for those who I was showing my boss today who knew the phrase Cupid doll but didn't know there was actually a comic strip. Ah. Oh, so we, we Cupies. They were there were Cupies in comics before they were Cupid dolls. See? Wow. There's lots to learn from Trina Robbins, as always. And and in uh, Babes in Arms, the illustration that I use in the Jill Elgin section, the one from Little Women, I picked a different page because I do own the book. So I want people uh, to see a little more, you know. Yes. Oh, it is such a shame, though, that with, again, as with the men returning to their jobs in factories and so on after yep. the war, all these women who are doing such fabulous work were mustered out of that service to be replaced by the people they had replaced. And did, did we lose something in that transition, of I think? Of course we did. The women, a lot of them went on to what was considered okay for women, like illustrating children's books. That was a, that was a woman's place, you know. Um, but we lost a lot more comics by them. That's what we lost. Yes, and we haven't spoken really about Fran Hopper, who was doing such fabulous work at Planet Comics. Wasn't she great? God. It's, I, I described, I wrote a, a piece for our site about uh, superheroines, and Gail Allen, it's sort of, you know, she's Dale Arden from Flash Gordon, but with attitude. It's like, no, I don't need, I don't need and, Flash. And with an all-girl squadron. Right. In the beginning, she had a Gail Allen and her girl squadron. I loved that. And you look at those those works, and it is every bit as good as what was going on at, at Flash Gordon. Alex Raymond is, is a judge, the master of the adventure comic well, strip. he is Alex Raymond. But not every guy who drew comics was Alex Raymond. Exactly right. So if Fran filled that void in maybe the 1A spot, but people don't know. And so that's what we're really hoping here that, that this book will do for folks. You say, here are... Fabulous women doing fabulous work, and maybe the mists of time covered this over, but they're back. Because and you she bring also did Mista of the Moon, who is one of my favorite oh, characters. Absolutely. Because Mr. Sup- Mista's superpower is that she has all the knowledge of the universe, and she's this mysterious woman who basically rules the universe and tries to keep the universe in some kind of order from her place on the moon, living there alone except for her faithful robot. Got to have you have to have a faithful robot. I mean, why? Of if you're going to rule the moon, you need a robot at the very very of least. Now, I I have to say the artwork here, the restoration of it is absolutely fabulous, and the colors just pop. Now, who? How did you find now, that, originals? And that is thanks to Dan Herman, the publisher of Hermes Press, who always does the best possible job. This book is going to be gorgeous. And it is, speaking of which, let, let's let everyone know that this is, a, Babes in Arms is already available for pre-order through your local bookstore, and certainly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the other internet booksellers as well. Trina, will you be having copies of this on your website as you do with the Miss Fury volumes? Um, I guess I will. That didn't even occur to me. I can tell you it's going to be heavy as hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. That's okay, you know, because it's it's just, you know, 
we just wanted to put all this luscious stuff in it. And, and Dan never settles for less. I mean, I really feel good about him as a publisher. Oh, it is a gorgeous presentation. As I was going through the pages, I, I've seen reprints. AC did black and white reprints of some of these stories years and years ago. And you can find oh, them on some of the public. Black and white, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when the colors were done so beautifully. Do we know who did the colors back then for either Harvey or Fiction House? I don't know. Yeah, and when you when you go to the EC, yeah, when you go to the EC books, it's always Marie Severin back in in that yeah. sort of period. And it's like wow. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it's about two hundred and sixty pages or so of just absolutely gorgeous art. We we've, we've collected Barbara Hall, Jill Elgin, Lloyd Renee, Fran Hopper. If there was a volume two. Would you have other artists you might select? Um, I might put in Marcia Snyder, who was a wonderful artist. And she didn't do a whole lot in comics. She did enough. She did Jungle Girls, who were great. I mean, she was incredible. She also did a lot of illustrations for, like, those pulpy romance magazines. She was very good. Um, but she didn't, um, she didn't fight the Nazis. I mean, the whole point, that's why it's called Babes in Arms. Oops. It's that all these women are fighting the Axis. Someone had to and Camilla, help. Camilla, the jungle yes. girl, is not fighting the Axis. Well, she's in the jungle. It is World War II. It's close. They were around, right? Ah, yeah, we, we've close also, enough. Yes, yeah, close enough. They were in North Africa. We'll have to go with mm-hmm. that. Um, do you have a couple of moments so we can dive into some other topics as well tonight, Trina? Of course. Okay, I'm going to throw one at I haven't spoken about before. After reading all these stories with all these fabulous characters in this period, I went right into watching some Agent Carter. Have you watched mm-hmm. or now? How do you of think? Of course, I loved it. Okay, how do you think Peggy Carter would do if her adventures were actually coming out back in those days? Um, I think she'd be great. I mean, you know, she's she's really this wonderful, tough woman. I love, by the way, in the TV series, I love. You know, the the clothes are so well done. They're just perfect clothes yeah. of the period. Um, gosh, it would have been nice to have seen her starring in her own comic in the 40s, drawn by one of those women, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I I knew you'd have the same feeling we all do about Peggy. <laughs> that is great. Uh, speaking of right- and you know, both Ruth Atkinson and Fran Hopper did work for Marvel. Back in the old timely days. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Boy, we I say timely, and I get all these waves of the oh, blonde phantom and all the rest. My, my, my two favorite Golden Age publishers are Fiction House and Timely. With, with good reason, too. Uh, Fiction mm-hmm. House is just it sort of become forgotten, but I, we're going to make sure that changes. Right here. Yes. It's a yes. thing. We're going to have Fiction House Week, maybe. We'll, we'll work on oh, it. Oh, what a great idea. Yes. <laughs> it could be an assignment. Right. Planet, Planet Comics, Wings Comics. Sure. Yeah. Oh, Wings. There's some amazing stuff in Wings. Absolutely. I love Wings. And Rangers. All of them. Yeah. Each one was a theme, and we mm-hmm. just, just went crazy with it. Now, uh, for you, on your work personally, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. You got to do the final story for the new iteration of Sensation. And mm. that you're, it was action-packed, but a really touching recreation of H.G. Wells' Island of Dr. Murrow. How did that come to you? Did you pitch it to them, or they came to you? Um. I actually, I heard that they were doing Sensation Comics, and I thought, how exciting, maybe I can actually do a Wonder Woman story for them. And I found out that the editor was was Christy Quinn, who is, as far as I'm concerned, the most wonderful person on earth. I would fight for her. Um, And she said, sure, pitch me some stories. So I sent her 
either two or three ideas, and she went for that one. And yes, it is my homage to H.G. Wells. I have to tell you that um, we live like three blocks away from a really good repertory theater, the Castro Theater, which you, you may know because on TV, whenever on the news, whenever something happens in the Castro, they uh-huh. always have a shot of the Castro Theater. Okay. Well. They've been having these wonderful pre-code movies every Wednesday. And so we went to see The Island of Lost Souls. And I had not seen that, like, since, I don't know, the 60s, maybe. And I was struck by how much in my comic was similar to the movie adaptation. I had not even realized how similar it was. You were just channeling it from those old memories of way back when. I was channeling it. There was the faithful dog, yep. and there was the cat. Uh, it was it was amazing. Oh, you're, you're for everyone who hasn't read Sensation Seventeen. Please do yourself a favor and pick it up. It is just gorgeously drawn, but even more beautifully written. It is just the and it's a great use of the cheat of the Barbara Nerva version. Yes, well, I always wanted to do something where where they work together, you know, and and like if the cheetah's been bad, it's not really her fault. Right, it really is. I like her. Yes, and on that, you'll be doing some Wonder Woman seventy seven as well, correct? Yes, yes, I have a ten page story in that. And just that one ten page, or are they going to let you continue on that a little bit? I hope to do more. Good, we we hope so too, because you are. Now, speaking of your Wonder Woman, you did The Legend of, all those years ago, the first post-crisis Wonder Woman story. So how did that get to your plate? Was that just sort of you ran at them with that? Well, I think, you know, like it's it's not a secret how much I like Wonder Woman, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, they needed, they had those those four months in between when Wonder Woman goes is turned back into mud in Crisis <laughs> of Infinite Earth, and George Perez's new reinvented Wonder Woman. And it's like, what will we do? And I, I see, in my mind's eye, I see them having a meeting and someone saying, what the hell, let's just give it to Trina. Even if she screws <laughs> it up, it's only four issues. Uh, it, so I think that's what happened. However it happened, what, they, what was produced was just gorgeous. It was sad and touching when you see Hippolyta addressing I, I don't want to spoil this for people the, the, situ, the situation and it's just it, to bring the family back to that as they would after her demise i'll just leave it at that right. without spoiling too much have you seen the new legend of wonder woman by renee deliz no i have to i have to you should see it it's really a gorgeous retelling of her teen years yeah. yes beautifully painted and drawn now have you seen you haven't seen the new movie yet right no, no, but okay. everyone says that that uh, Gal Gadot steals the show. Yes, that's, that's how you pronounce her name. Yep, that is our Very opinion, so. too, around around these. It, it gives us hope for the next, the, actually the first feature appearance of one of them. Steve is ready to jump in with something. Hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Hope for the future is always good. Now, while we're on this, with, with Steve's ready again? A lighthouse in the fog, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> a single candle in the darkness, to quote Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, on a more general note, I came upon some statistics recently that I think you'd, you'd love to hear. Uh, according to uh, Brett Schenker of Comics Beat, there's, a, there's Facebook data that shows that self-identified comic fans are ringing in at 46% female. Oh, wow. Yeah, what, I knew that would happen. 
<laughs> now, the, how does what do you think has happened to cause this? Is it change in attitude, different creators, reaffirmation of what's going on? What? How does this all well, collate together a as a historian? Attitude, but the change in attitude is caused by graphic novels and also by the internet. Now, women's voices are being heard. I mean, there's all these different places on the Internet, all these, these websites uh, for women, for women's fans, for women creators. And when, when somebody does something, you know, completely bizarre, like some editor at Marvel, he has a brain hiccup and hires Milo Manara <laughs> to do that, yeah. that, that Spider-Woman cover, you know, women are up in arms and they talk about it. And now their voices are heard because there's an Internet. Before, even if they were really pissed off, what could they do? They could send a letter to Marvel and Marvel wouldn't print it, you know? Um, So that has really changed. I mean, the publishers, the mainstream publishers know now that women really will read comics when there are comics that women like to read and that they are a force to be reckoned with. 46% is a lot of money. And the other thing, of course, is graphic novels, because it used to be that if you wanted to draw comics, you had your choice of either either the underground, which is questionable, which was a lot of, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, yes. or mainstream comics, which was superheroes, which was guys with big chins and thick necks punching each other out. And this is something that women are not crazy about reading, and most women are not crazy about drawing either. So, you know... So what's a girl to do? But along came graphic novels, and real book publishers publish graphic novels, and they're in libraries, and they're in bookstores, and you don't have to draw those big chinned guys punching each other out anymore. You can tell real stories. There you go. Well, here's the thing. When comics uh, from the 40s, from Babes in Arms, as we were talking about, back then, with so many different genres that were not the yes. superheroes, romance and yes. horror and westerns and all of it, kids' books and humor and funny animals, you name it, they're all out there. Right. Those have now been the the independent comics, the smaller publishers, the graphic novel publishers who are willing to take a chance with those because they just aren't superheroes, so they find their own little spot. And, yes, absolutely. And I, I read a stat, it was about a year or so ago, and I'm sure it's still relevant, that in the English-speaking world, United States, England, and Canada, 85% of the purchases of fiction are women. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, we know that girls read more than boys and that, that girls and women buy more books than boys but, do. We know that. So you're getting the, the graphic novel form out into a store where now it, in a Barnes & Noble you can go in, go through an entire rack of, of complete novels has changed the game. So, yes. Absolutely. Has Total it changed? game changer. Do you feel it's changing enough to meet this new demand, or do we still have ways to go? I think we're there. You know, we're only going to get better. I mean, it's not going to go away. People are discovering graphic novels by men and women and really liking them. People who never really liked superhero comics. Like a lot of women were just not interested, and can you blame them? Me yeah. neither, you know? But... Graphic novels are great. They're such fun to read. I just finished one by Sarah Glidden, published by Vertigo, you know, because they do good books, too. Uh, It's called How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less. I read it because I'm going to a symposium in Israel in May. And, wow, it's great, and it really helped me. 
now there's a topic you wouldn't you know you wouldn't think DC would do, but through Vertigo, you can mm-hmm. find a way to do it. Vertigo. Now, you still you still travel all over the place. I found a picture on the internet. I was on your blog actually of you at a comic book convention in Russia. Yes, Moscow. It was fabulous. <laughs> now is that the one where you uh, came uh, came upon a very tall vampirella, vampirella named Vlad? The tallest, the tallest vampirella. In, in the world, and, and she's Russian, yes. Her name was Vlada. Isn't that a great name for a female vampire? If, right. If you're going to be a vampire, that's the one. Now, now Dynamite has just relaunched Vampirella with her in a more demure outfit than yeah, before? Yeah, I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're the designer of her real outfit, which wasn't exactly what everyone got to see eventually. She was covered a little bit more. Yeah, she was originally. Yeah, because I found a couple of lovely illustrations by you, and also you came upon someone at Wizard World who has the perfect co- Vampirella cosplay. Yes, yes, it was it was much more like what I had designed. So I yes, I had pictures of that too. Uh, now, so what about the new one? Is it just the there's too much straps and all that kind of jazz going on, or what's the? Yeah, they always do that, and they do yeah. the kind of punky boots, you know, the heavy <laughs> boots and the straps, so that she looks like somebody, I don't know, some some 20-year-old British woman who's going to a rave. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I don't know why they keep redesigning women characters as costumes. I mean, I know that that Superman no longer wears his underwear on the outside, but basically what he's wearing is still recognizably what Superman always wore. Mm-hmm. Same with Batman. But they have to, like, keep changing Wonder Woman's costume. They have to keep changing Vampirella's costume. Well, not keep changing. This is a first. And I don't get that because their comics, their costumes are iconic. They're iconic I mean, all that they have done to Wonder Woman's costume in the past, but you go to conventions and you see the cosplayers and they're wearing the iconic traditional mm-hmm. costume. Yeah. As far out as it ever gets is you'll see someone in the skirt, you know, yeah. uh, Harry oh, Peter's no, original cute. skirt I outfit. I like that. Yeah. I like the skirt. And the same with Vampirella. You know, you're going to keep seeing women in Vampirella's costume because it's iconic. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, on the current front, is there a character or creator or combination of both that you find the most interesting, entertaining, challenging? Um, in in what? In graphic novels? In graphic novels in or comic books? Comics? Ma- yeah, mainstream. Let's go for mainstream. Well, you know, I still really like Harley Quinn. Who could not like Harley Quinn? Absolutely. So um, they. Amanda Connor described her to me as a serial killer with a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had Amanda on the show, and yes, I can definitely see her saying that. <laughs> oh, we, we, we had she and Jimmy on when that book was about to launch, and she started to describe you know, things like the scatapult, where Harley was going to have a giant catapult on the roof of her building so she could throw cat poop around. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's a serial killer with a heart of gold. Now, before mm-hmm. we go, I want to dive in because we did a little bit for the Patreon folks, before our regular listeners, the complete women's comics collection that is now just out yes. in a two-volume slipcase edition. 
Tell us about how you were at the forefront, really, of the underground comics movement, and certainly in this first complete women's anthology back in the day. Well, in 1970, it was not hard to be in the forefront when there was only (laughs) one other woman drawing underground (laughs) comics in San Francisco. Um, The guys didn't want to publish either of us. Um, So it it was a pretty easy forefront. Um, And uh, what I was doing, you know, because the guys really didn't want to include me in their books, what I was doing was um, drawing for the underground newspapers, which for those of you who who haven't been born until 2000, um, the underground newspapers were kind of a hippie, and more radical equivalent of the the free weeklies that you'll find in any college town or in any big city. Um, And I was drawing for them. And then someone showed me the very first uh, women's liberation newspaper. It's feminist, but in those days they called it women's liberation. Mm -hmm. And it was called It Ain't Me, Babe. And I went, wow. And I phoned them up, and soon I was drawing for them. I was showing, you know, drawing covers, drawing a comic on the back cover, just drawing various stuff and working with these women made me finally made me strong enough because I had the moral support to put together the very first all-woman comic book and that was that came out in 1970 and it was called It Ain't Me Babe. It Ain't Me Babe Comics, I guess, mm-hmm. with an X. With the X. Uh, Has to have an two X. Two years yes. later, two years later, there were enough women so that ten of us could get together, enough women doing comics, ten of us could get together at uh, the cozy little Noe Valley bungalow, that's a nice neighborhood in San Francisco, Noe Valley, um, little bungalow of Patricia Moodian, who called us all together, and we formed Women's Comics. Wow. And Women's Comics was the first ongoing uh, all-woman comic book anthology that lasted from 72 to 92. Wow, what a great run. Now, that's all going to be in these two volumes? Every yes, single the entire, bit of this? the entire day, me, babe, and the entire run of women's comics. And they're facsimile editions. They're not just reprints. They're facsimile editions, which means they look exactly like the comics, only better because the old comics are all yellowed and falling apart. Yes, on all so the terrible now, paper, right? Now you can read them without being afraid that, you know, uh, exactly. that it'll, they'll turn into dust in your hands. Well, I, I've had that happen already. Pieces of covers falling off and so on. Now, this is from Fantagraphics, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. And they do a great job. Always, always do. They've done some of your books in the past, correct? Yes. Yes. Now, if is that something going to be on your site as well, or we we have to find our way to I that one? It, it weighs so much that I don't think I want to sell it through the mail. I think you simply are oh, going to sure. have to go and buy it in bookstores and in comic book stores. Um, we are doing a signing here in San Francisco. For those who are listening who happen to be in the Bay Area, that's on April 12th at Green Apple Books on the park and they're called green apple books on the park because they're down the block on ninth avenue down the block from golden gate park and that will be at 7:30 on august 12th so that's a good place to get it and we're going to be doing a mass signing uh, whoever can show up in san diego a panel and a mass signing at um the the fantagraphics booth of course at the san diego con Oh, that is just awesome. So now, Trina, we're going to start to wrap this up, but let me just say you now have this women com- women's comics collection out right now. Mm-hmm. We have Babes in Arms coming in July. Right. What comes next? 
What, what's my memoir. <gasps> it's coming out in 2017, published by Dennis Kitchen and Dark Horse. Oh, very ah, nice. As a completely prose book, or are we going to have some Trina illustrations? We're going to have a lot, of, a lot of reprints of comics I did, and a lot of photos, too. Wow. Oh, that is spectacular. See, we have, we have an exclusive right here. <laughs> Ask me the title. What is the title? Last Girl Standing. Oh, I like it. It's a good title. It is, I, I don't think we can top that <laughs> as, as a close. <laughs> Trina... As always, it is such a pleasure to speak to you. It is such a joy to, to know that you're part of our little Talking Comics family here. It's been a, a an absolute blessing to always speak to you. So, if people oh, want to, it was great fun. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, your website is www.trinarobbins.com. Oh, I'm sorry, www.trinarobbins.com. <laughs> we have to have that dot. Trina, we. Just love having you on, and thank you so much for everything you've done in the past, the present, and what's coming in the future. I love to talk. Send me the link. Oh, you'll know that you'll have that first thing as we put it up. You've got it, <laughs> Trina. Thanks so much. Okay, hang, great. hang in just thank a second. You. We're going to sign off here, but sign off a little bit for real after. Oh, okay. I'll wait. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Trina Robbins, everybody. All right, thank you so much to Trina for for joining us. She was uh, amazing as always on the show. Uh, it's just always a real treat to, to have her here with us. Um, but yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about Black Panther number one, uh, Tanisi Coates and Brian Starfleet's. Uh, we're going to be doing that as our, our, our book of the week. So hashtag TCBOTW for that one. We're also going to be doing a deep dive on Wonder Woman Earth One uh, from Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette. So big comic book talk next week uh, on the show. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so if you have any thoughts on those books, uh, like I said, hashtag TCBOTW. If you have longer thoughts, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the place to go for that. Um, Facebook.com slash TalkingComics is our Facebook page. Um and uh, at Talking Comics is the Twitter, which that's where you'd leave the hashtag TCPOW on that one. <laughs> uh, my, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve. Mine is at dead underscore Anchorus. Joey. At Joey Bracino. Bob. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Yeah, so big thank you again to Trina Robbins for, yeah. for joining in with, with us. Um, it's always a treat to have her here. This is her th- fourth? Fourth time? Fourth, I think if we count the round table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we count the Wonder Woman yeah. round table where she ran in from the market in the middle of the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so four times on the show. I think she's the most, definitely the most, I think. I think so. Or tied with Kelly Sue, perhaps? I think Kelly Sue's at three. We had her pre-Captain Marvel number one. We had her, like, height of Marvel popularity. Right. Interviewing Emma Rios. Interviewing Emma Rios. Yeah, and exactly. With Matt. With, and then we had her with Matt. So we had her three times. We had the Snyder Man twice. <laughs> Snyder Man. Yeah. Uh, Snyder Man. Uh, Rekka twice. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll be we'll sure to talk to those people again, though. Yes. <laughs> it's not over yet. No, uh, plenty of time. But this issue of the Talking Comics podcast is over. So, until next time, for Steve. See you later. Bob. Good night. And Joey. Bucky. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>